Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the ongoing port strike in Vancouver. It is costing the Canadian economy half a billion bucks a day, continues to drag on. Now, the good news is here that there were some talks on Saturday between the two sides here in this strike that is costing our economy so much money. I got Kevin Falcon standing by to discuss. Have a listen to the union leaders speaking out here yesterday at a rally in Vancouver. You're going to hear union leaders Pat Bolin and Rob Ashton here. Have a listen. We've stood up and said enough is enough. This is where the line in the sand is drawn. We are not asking for wages that are unrealistic. We do not want the federal government to get involved in our business. We must force them to the table. We must tell them to come to the table. Okay, should the federal government intervene here? There is a growing chorus of demand for that as we continue to bleed money here with this ongoing strike that has paralyzed the ports. Should the feds step in? Let's discuss now with my guest, Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United. He is the leader of the official opposition at the legislature in Victoria. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Tell me your concerns here about this strike. Like, what are you hearing in terms of the economic impact here in BC? Well, I think it's really important uh, for folks listening to understand uh, the impact this has. Is it's actually very widespread. It's very massive, and every day that goes by that uh, that port is shut down, uh, the costs only grow. And British Columbians may not notice it immediately, but they will start noticing it. Uh, in the coming weeks, I can assure you. I used to head, as you know, the Asia Pacific Gateway Strategy. So uh, I, you know, when I was in government, I used to, you know, oversee the entire strategy of making sure that we were a reliable, secure uh, gateway to North America for the Asia Pacific and vice versa. So um, I think reputationally, it's also a big issue. So uh, typically, we're looking at about $700 million a day being impacted. Uh, Certain sectors, like the forest uh, sector, for example, is particularly impacted. It's I've heard that estimates that 15% of the items stuck at the port are forced industry-related, so that's going to hurt an industry that's already feeling a lot of pain. Um, And it's just, you know, I I think what concerns me most, at times like this, leadership really does matter. Uh, And and leadership from the premier, the province, um, even though it's a federal issue, the province plays a big role here because it impacts us so dramatically, and we are the Asia-Pacific Gateway. And the only premier that has not said anything about the strike has been our own premier. Uh, we've heard from the premiers of Quebec, yeah. from Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario, uh, nothing from the premier of British Columbia. And I think that's unfortunate. I was listening to Alberta Premier Danielle Smith on the weekend calling. She met with Justin Trudeau at the Calgary Stampede, and she was straight up calling for 
federal government intervention here to bring this strike to an end because it's hurting so many people across the country. Let me play a clip here for you from the, B- the B.C. perspective here. B.C. Transportation Minister Rob Fleming notably not calling for federal intervention here. Let's listen. What I've heard recently is both the union and the employer are saying, let's get back to the table. Uh, and that seems to me that they should take each other up uh, on their offer and, and do exactly that. Okay, so he is calling for more talks, for more for more negotiation at the bargaining table. We did we did hear word on the on the weekend that there were some talks on Saturday with a mediator involved. Why not let that process go forward, or, or do you think the Fed should get involved here? Well, first of all, you know, understand that there are you know magnitudes of difference between typical labor talks and the impact that you have when you're talking about the ports here. You know, there's we're talking about thirty ports across the province that are shut down completely. Uh, which has a massive impact. And this idea that, uh, you know, um, they just take this sort of hands-off approach, they've done that with the transit strike in the Fraser Valley, for example. It's gone on for months now with no provincial leadership. Apparently, people are just going to have to be without service for, you know, the better, you know coming up to half a year. Um, and that seems to be fine for the provincial government. But the problem is um, when you sit on the on the sidelines and just say, well, everyone negotiate when they're not negotiating that's that's a real challenge you'll recall in 2014 during the trucker strike uh the premier and the cabinet of the day in the government it wasn't an ndp government actually said look we can't allow this to go forward and they they moved they sat down with the uh unifor the the union signed an mou got those uh, truckers back to work and got the port operating again and I do think that to just take this attitude that, well, we're going to sit on the sidelines and hope that things get worked out at the table. I hope they get worked out at the table, too. That's where every deal uh, should get done. There's no question about it. But I'll tell you, I think that, you know, not hearing a strong voice from the premier of our province and the uh, transportation minister, you know, just having this sort of wimpy little, well, we'll stand on the sidelines and see what happens kind of approach, I don't think is helpful. Okay, so you want... What, what do you want EB to do? You want EB to phone Justin Trudeau today and say, look, you better intervene and bring this strike to an end right now? Yeah, well, what I would say, no, it doesn't necessarily have to go right to that point. But you can, you know, I would pick up the phone and say, don't listen, this is a huge problem for us. How can we help? Uh, there's ways that we can, uh, you know, uh, bear uh, some influence in this situation, too. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's opportunities for us to go and, and sit down with some of the parties to maybe have some quiet discussions to push to make everyone understand what the big issues are here. Um, you know, the workers have legitimate issues that they're concerned about too. Chief among them, of course, is the, you know, um, uh, automation of a lot of their jobs, especially with the birth of AI, et cetera. So these are, these are really important issues for the union too. Uh, but, you know, smart people sitting around the table can try and help, you know, encourage some solutions. Uh, but I think just taking a total hands-off approach, I don't think uh, serves British Columbians very well. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Mike. We continue to keep a very close eye on this labor dispute here as we enter another day of strike action at British Columbia's ports. And you're hearing a growing chorus of political leaders across the country here calling for federal intervention to bring this strike to an end, which is costing the economy millions and millions of dollars. Let's check in with analyst Paul Brashear now. Paul is vice president ITS Logistics are based in Nevada, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Paul, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, Mike, appreciate it. Yeah, I, I appreciate it too. And I think the fact that you know you're an analyst based in Nevada, 
you've got your eye on this thing going on here north of the border because we're also interconnected, right? Can you tell me a little bit about when we've got the ports in BC shut down like this, what kind of impact does it have across the whole system? Yeah, Mike. So uh, ITS Logistics has clients uh, throughout all of North America. And uh, the the biggest uh, thing that we're seeing as far as an effect on U.S. supply chains is that a lot of that freight that's coming into to Prince Rupert and Vancouver uh, transitions over to rail and gets pulled off the ramps for auto manufacturers, distributors, retailers in the Midwest, uh, primarily Chicago, but also Indy over in the Columbus. And, and that freight uh, supports a lot of what we call just-in-time uh, supply chains, which means they don't have a lot of slack before they start missing that freight, which, you know, in turn could shut down operations at a lot of facilities in the United States. Yeah, this is how much is on the line here on both sides of the border. And when you take a look at that shipping network that you're describing there, I mean, are we, this is like peak, isn't this like peak shipping season right now? There's a lot of stuff being shipped through these ports, correct? It is, Mike, it is. Uh, So when you go to the, you know, the store here in November or October to buy Christmas gifts, or even uh, if you're looking at back to school, uh, a lot of those goods are coming into the to North America right now. And uh, during the last ILWU, uh, you know, headwinds that we had in the States and further back into the COVID times, uh, this area in, in British Columbia and, and Prince Rupert and in Vancouver were, were set up to be stop gaps or release valves to continue to get freight into the United States and in, in the central and, and eastern Canada. So uh, what you'll probably start seeing is considerably more congestion and, and more uh, problems uh, kind of metastasized down in the western parts of the United States and the Midwest uh, because of, of this strike activity right now. Right. So when we've got all these ports shut down in British Columbia now, what do the shipping companies do? Can they? Is there any kind of workaround for them? Can they divert their ships, their container ships, to, to American ports? Yes. Yeah. And that's what we're advising our clients right now. Uh, right now, you can reconsign freight that's sitting on the uh, vessels. Uh, and a lot of that freight is going into Seattle, Tacoma, Oakland, and L.A. Long Beach. Uh, so that can be done. And then we have clients that we're advising when they are booking freight, hitting the water overseas. And primarily what we're talking about is Trans-Pacific. So from East Asia over to the Western uh, parts of North America to go ahead and just book that freight to come into the U.S. Uh, and, and, and miss Vancouver, which, you know, for for the, the Western Canada ports, there was some considerable uh, freight uh, diverted over the past year and a half, two years that looked like it was going to stay there uh, for, for you know, the, the future. And it looks like a yeah. lot of that freight is now going to return back to the United States, which is unfortunate. Oh, okay. Because this is what I was wondering. If you start to see a lot of this freight diverted to American ports, is there a danger for our economy here that that business does not come back. Like, hopefully this thing, this strike is over quickly. 
tomorrow, well, hopefully, I'm, or today. Who knows? But, you know, is there a possibility that the business doesn't return? Oh, 100%, Mike. Uh, we've yeah. seen this in the U.S. There was considerable amount of freight that used to come into L.A. Long Beach, Seattle, Tacoma, Oakland. And when people started staying away from the West Coast uh, post-COVID, uh, during the, the potential for strike and the 13 months of negotiations in the U.S., uh, that freight has stayed largely on the East Coast, Houston, Savannah, New York, New Jersey. And that is something that will, I mean, it's not a question of if, it's how much will will come back down to the U.S. and not return to the western part of Canada. Okay, Paul, last question for you. He's got a, a minute left here. As you've been describing, we've seen some labor disruptions and disputes in America as well earlier. How were those how were those strikes resolved and those disputes resolved? Did it take any kind of government inter- intervention there to put an end to it? Yes. Uh, it took the uh, uh, labor secretary uh, and the Biden administration to fly out to San Francisco, bring both groups to the table and and get into a media blackout and, and some hard uh, hard-nosed negotiations so both sides could get that resolved, get that out to the workers to, to ratify so they could continue operations. So uh, yeah. if anything is, you know, if past is prelude to future, uh, that's probably what's going to be needed uh, up in Yellow's neck of the woods. Paul, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. All right, Mike. Y'all take care up there. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, let's talk about the housing affordability crisis in Metro Vancouver now, especially trying to find a decent, affordable place to rent. Forget about buying. Even rents are sky high in Metro, the highest in Canada. Even if you have a good job and a good income. Case in point is my next guest, Carl Eaton. Carl is a Vancouver single dad. He is desperately trying to find an affordable two-bedroom apartment for himself and his son. And he joins me now. Carl, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You bet. I appreciate it a lot. So, Carl, you, have you lived in Vancouver all your life? Uh, since I was four years old. So, yeah, 51 years. 51. Okay, so you lived here. You went to high school here. And you and I had a brief chat on the phone yesterday. You know, you, would, you, would you say you came from, like, a middle-class family? Uh, no, not really. I, uh, my dad was a, a veteran, so I grew up in veteran homes. So I, yeah, I guess it was close to close to well, closer to the lower end, but okay, it was doable back then. 
It was right, exactly. It was doable back then. You had a roof over your head. Let's talk about okay, the job you have now. You're a working guy, and you have a, a, a good paying job, right? That's right. I work for Telus, and I have for about 18 years. I uh, work on the outside plant and maintain our network infrastructure. How much money do you make a year? Uh, about seventy-four thousand a year. Uh, okay. I can get overtime every now and then, but it's not a guaranteed source of income. Okay, seventy-four thousand bucks a year is is a is a good income. It's certainly above average in Canada. So, tell me about your family situation there. How old's your son? My son just he's eighteen. He just graduated about eight days ago. Yeah, graduated from high school, right? High school, correct? Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. How long have you How long have you been living in the place that you guys are in now? Uh, two years. Uh, I've got uh, a friend of mine has uh, rents a house in Kitsilano, and he had a small room upstairs in his attic space, and he had a room downstairs because where his son lives, and so he offered a place for me in the interim because we've been trying for two years to find something that would be even adequate to live into that would be you know secure or safe for long term. I've had to move probably four times in the last five years, all due to either the people that own the house selling or uh, moving back to China was one, or moving their elderly parents in was another. Yeah. Yeah, this is a situation a lot of people get in. They get a place that they can afford and they like, and then the landlord says, you got to move on because I'm renovating or my family's moving in here. Yep. So w what is your situation now? Like how long? You're in a precarious spot here, right? Really precarious, yeah. Just trying to figure things out. It's, uh, yeah, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be out by July 31st. Um, oh. If I can't find anything, I'm, gonna, well, I'm trying to make arrangements to see if we can maybe stay uh, for another month, if it's even possible. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to figure that out as we go along. But uh, I've had offers of support, but, you know, I, it's, it's a room here or a room there. But then here's the issue. You have to now get a rental locker to put your stuff in. I don't know if you guys realize how expensive rental lockers are and how hard they are to find. How it's much are the rents out there? Uh, how much are the well, rents that you're seeing? So I've looked all the way as far as Coquitlam, and it's twenty four hundred to thirty four hundred for a two bedroom. Twenty four hundred. How can you afford that? No, I cannot. No, I cannot. After all the deductions uh, said and done on my uh, out of my pay, I guess I could stop putting into an RSP and stop saving for my future. But all said and done, I make about fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars a paycheck. Okay, so the twenty four hundred is is on the cheap end for a two bedroom. Is that right? <laughs> At this point in time, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing else out there. Like, have you looked around further, further afield in the gone out the valley or anything? Or well, Chilliwack, but now I'm commuting yeah. an hour and a half, two hours every day. And yeah. I, you know, I couldn't just find Chilliwack right now while my son is going to high school at Van Tech. I can't just uproot and, you know, I, I guess people say you maybe you should, but really, should I? I've worked here for forty plus years, paid taxes. Like, why should I be, you know, forced out? Like, I thought we, I thought Canada is supposed to be a, a better. A better place to live. Vancouver is a great, you know, city we're supposed to live in here. So yeah. don't people come here because they want to get away from a bad situation to live in a better situation? Right. And as you mentioned, Vancouver is your home. You grew up here. You obviously want to ra continue to raise your son here. So you, you want to stay in Vancouver, right? Oh, I would like to. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What do you think? Okay. So 2400 bucks a, a month for a two-bedroom and, and goes up from there. What are your options here now? Like, how de how desperate is the situation here for you right now? I don't know. I'm hoping, uh, you know, you, you have me on the radio. I'm hoping, I, I'm just actually keep looking, keep ser searching, but I'm hoping to uh, just get lucky and maybe somebody will have something or here's the story and 
can help out in some way or another. Yeah, well, I, I hope people so are, too. People are, people are telling me to get two or three jobs, but how does that work? You know, uh, it's, it, it, my son should start working. They go, well, maybe he shouldn't go to secondary. Maybe he should start working now. Well, how how is that right? What kind of a society are we becoming when that's the case? I even had a lady reach out to me on on Facebook Messenger because she's so worried about her situation. That, you know, you seem like lovely people. Maybe we can, you know, buy a house together or something like that. Don't even know each other, but she's not worried, not scared about what's happening for her two kids. Yeah, is no, that it's what interesting. we want here in Vancouver? Is that what we want? Yeah, it is interesting, Carl, to hear about some of the backlash. Like, you've gone public with your, your story and, you know, posted on social media looking for a place to live. And tell me a little bit about what you've heard. Like, you've had some people say to you, hey, why don't you just start moonlighting, get another job? Yeah, or move. Why don't you move then? Move. If you can't do yeah. there, up and root. And then, and so I up and move. How do I get another job there? I'm gonna have to look for that. I'm 55 years old. I've got 18 years into a pension, working here as a solid citizen in, in Vancouver. Yeah, it, it just seems so strange that those are the solutions. You know, it's, I, I, somebody from Chicago actually reached out and said, "Listen, I, uh, their story is really heartwarming. I'm a retired principal. If you guys ever come out this way, I've got a place for you." Somebody in New Brunswick also offered. But all the people that are locally based are saying, you know, get another job, get your son working. Maybe he doesn't get education. I just find it so weird that that's how people are thinking. We're, are we not supposed to live a better life here or yeah. try to or even a reasonable life? Because I'm not asking for anything luxurious. I don't go out all the time. I do most of my own cooking. I'm a very good cook. You know, I, I, I don't <laughs> buy a lot of clothes. I hardly buy anything for myself. I have to spend it on my son because clothes is ridiculous. Gas is ridiculous now. Groceries yeah. are ridiculous. Yeah. You know, am I supposed to uh, we starve then? Is that it? So I just just so I can have a roof over my head? Well, that makes no sense to me. Have you have you looked at any places? Like I've heard some horror stories from people. They they take a look at an online ad. They go and check the place out, and the place is like you know it's a dump. Yeah, or, or even worse. Oh, a newly renovated. They say so. You get there, and it's one room, and it doesn't even have a kitchen. They've taken their rec room and they've made it a suite, and they've got a hot plate, and they want two thousand dollars for it. What? Yeah. Hot plate, yeah. Oh, a hot plate. That, you know, like, uh, that just seems... It, I'm finding it very disgusting right now with the way yeah. people are and the way life is, and it's uh, uh, corporate greed and profiteering is... It's out of hand. It's everywhere. And, you know, what there are a lot think? of people that are struggling to maintain their properties because inflation and uh, interest rates are so high. So now they're caught in a jam. They bought their place, and now, holy, how am I going to hang on to my place? Speaking, you know? of Car- speaking of Carl Eaton, Carl's a single dad in Vancouver looking for a decent, affordable place to rent, two-bedroom, and he's having a lot of trouble doing it. Like, what do you think is the answer here? Because I've heard people say, whoa, you just moved to Alberta. You can get a good place there in Alberta. Like, is that your option, do you think? Like, you, have, you probably have to move? Yeah, because yeah, I don't think affordable housing is going to get built fast enough here. Yeah. Not at all. You know, all, all the homes that are getting torn down in Vancouver and East Vancouver right now, all those had basement suites in them or, or the upstairs was suited up into two suites. Well, they're all getting torn down. And what's getting put up in their place? Luxury condos or luxury townhomes. And they're getting sold individually. They're not for the rental market. Yeah. So, you know, they're dropping all these permits to speed the bill. But why can't they do that for affordable housing? Why can't they do a push on that? It makes it really is dumbfounded. We're, we're all the workers. If people can't afford to live here, do we actually have a labor shortage? Have you tried, have you tried like, uh, speaking of affordable housing or social housing, like have you tried through BC housing or tried to get into a co-op? So BC housing cutoff is $73,000. So I make uh, just too much for BC housing. I don't qualify. 
the threshold, I think that threshold needs to be changed. And yes, co-ops, I'm on, a, I'm on quite a few waiting lists for a bunch of co-ops. Most of them don't have any spaces available. Very few of them are actually accepting uh, applications for waiting lists because uh, there's so many people in my situation that are struggling. It's just not, you know, it's, it's not a small problem. It's a massive problem. And it's not a, it's not a housing crisis per se. It's an affordability crisis. People's, people's wages are not going up. Right. Even though I make reasonable money, it, yeah. is it enough in today's market? Is it enough for the way inflation is? You know, gas is at two dollars a liter. Go to a grocery store. You're you're lucky to walk out without paying a hundred dollars for one bag of groceries. Yeah. Right. And you've got an eighteen-year-old boy on me that you know he's got to eat, and he's growing. So. Okay, Carl, really, are, are I, you supposed to live a third-world life? I don't. I don't understand. I hope it works out for you and. Like you said, maybe someone listening does have a place uh, available. It's, they can find you on Facebook, right? That's how I found you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I sent, send you a message. Send you a messenger, a Facebook message. Would that be the best way? Yeah, that would work for me. Yeah. Okay. Carl, I hope something works out for you and your son. Thank you for coming on to tell your story today. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for listening. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, let's talk about your personal health now, especially if you are over the age of 50. Now, that includes myself in this category. I recently turned 61, and I'm feeling great. I'm feeling pretty good. And I'll tell you what, exercise is so crucial. And if there's anything that I think you get out of this segment here, it's so important to take care of yourself and take care of your health, especially when you're each, you reach these older ages and there's people depending on you. So you've got to try and eat well and you need to move. You need to get off your butt. And this is something I learned a while ago and it certainly helped me. Now, we talk about your lifespan in Canada, right? We take a look at that lifespan. People are living longer lives. But in addition to your lifespan, there's also a, another measurable and another indicator, and that is your health span. How long can you expect to remain healthy through your life? Now, that's a different number from your lifespan, your health span. Let's discuss now with my guest, Dr. Chris Picard. Chris is the owner of Body and Balance, and he has a very busy practice in the United Kingdom where he is a functional health practitioner, uh, but I know he has a, he's also very busy online. 
as well and helps a lot of his patients virtually online. Beatbloodpressure.com is his website. And I've been following him on TikTok where I enjoy his videos. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on today. It's a pleasure, Mike, and somewhat of a surprise to be asked to be on Radio in Canada. Well, this is the wonderful thing about the virtual world we live in these days. You know, I can I can be on social media like TikTok and I'll see a really cool video by like the one that jumped out at me from yours. And we can connect and get you on here. And I know you're I know that listeners will enjoy hearing from you. So one of the things, Chris, that jumped out at me was a video that you did recently where you talked about the expected lifespan and your expected health span as you get older. So let's talk about that. What is the difference between lifespan and health span? Well, the well, the lifespan is what pe- most people are aware of, which is how long you're expected to live if you're born today. And so in the UK, in Canada, in America, you know, it's about 80 years old, and that's the average. Now, the thing about average is that doesn't mean to say that's you, because average just means there's going to be some people who are a lot younger and some people who are a lot older. Right. And it's the same with health span. Now, lifespan is how long you're going to be alive for. But health span is perhaps more important, especially as we do live longer, because people want to live longer and they want to be healthy as they get old. But the average health span, which is how long we're on average expected to be healthy, hasn't really changed much since after the war. It was about 60 then and it's about 60 now. But again, it means some people aren't are going to be unhealthy by the time they're 40. And some people are still going to be healthy till they're 70 or 80 years old. But the average hasn't actually changed. And that's the problem is modern medicine is great at stopping us from dying, but it's not actually really helping us live to our optimum because they're missing what really needs to happen. Right. And this is what really jumped out at me. So if we talk about lifespan first, like people are living longer now. So if we go back into the past, you mentioned, say, after the after the war. So how long like people are living longer now. Right. And that's improved. That has improved generally over time. People live living longer lives. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, there's a lot of actually sort of misunderstanding about our lifespan, are we actually living longer as humans? On average, we are because there's a lot less childhood mortality. If you go back, you know, thousands and thousands of years, if you're a hunter gatherer that made it past the age of four or five, your life expectancy was about 70. But people don't realize that. It's not that we're living longer. It's just that we're not dying in droves younger from infectious diseases and from poor sewage. And we're not dying if we break our bones. But Having said that, the way that we live our lives, it's more comfortable. Infectious diseases are way down because of better drains and antibiotics. Um, and so we're just not dying, basically, as easily as we would have hundreds of years ago. And certainly in the last hundred years, like our, our life expectancy has gone up again. Right. Right. OK, so. OK, so that's the lifespan. And let's talk about health span, because this is the real interesting one to me. Like we're living long, like medicine has improved greatly, as you mentioned. And but let's talk about health span. So how, how long can people expect to remain reasonably expect to remain, remain healthy, full health? Well, again, this is according to, again, studies. No, this isn't my opinion. This is studies. And again, it's averages. Yeah. So you take a population and you basically find out, okay, well, what age do they start getting diabetes? What age do they start getting heart disease? And so the average is between about 55 and 65. 
Yeah. Um, now we're all going to know people that are in their seventies or eighties, and they're fine. Um, and that, but that's part of the law of averages. And because medicine is trying to focus on, you know, cure-alls that fix things when they're a problem, but what we need to do, if we want a functional body that's able to move, we actually have to train it. If you want your muscles to be strong enough to move your joints, you actually have to train your muscles. Right. And this is the problem because 100 years, well, 120 years ago, because when I first read about this, it was, uh, yeah, 1999. So <laughs> I still say 100 years ago in Victorian times, which isn't true. Yeah, right. <laughs> but back in Victorian times, you know, the average life expectancy from birth wasn't very high. But if you got to the age of, I think it was four or five, these investigators found that people's life expectancy was about 78 if they got to four. But their health expectancy was 76 hmm. because people were more active, that people actually had a more varied diet 120 years ago than they do now. They had less sugar. They certainly had a lot less alcohol. They certainly had, you know, no refined carbohydrates or hardly any. And so because they were more active because they had to walk everywhere, they ate a better diet, it was organic, they lived healthier for longer. And that has actually not, on average, really increased for a long time because people are being told so much that they have to rely on medicine that they're forgetting that actually they have to rely on themselves. They do, as you said in the introduction. We do have to move. We do have to yeah. be healthy. We do have to think for ourselves if we want us as human beings to live longer. Right, for sure. And this is where, okay, this is where the rubber hits the road, I think, because for a lot of people, we want to keep, stay healthy as long as we possibly can. So let's talk a little bit about that, Chris. And, and, you know, the video I saw of you on, on TikTok, which I recommend to the listeners, you know, you point out some, and a lot of this stuff might seem obvious, but let's go over it now. Some of the key ones that remain healthy. First of all, smoking, right? Smoking and drinking. Let's talk about smoking and drinking. Yes, yes. So in the video, I said excessive smoking and drinking is really so it's not, you know, a small amount of alcohol seems to be fine for most people. So having fun yeah. is allowed. I mean, because, yeah. if you, you know, what's the point in living if you're not having fun? And personally, I want to get to 100 years old and I still want to be able to pick up a pint of beer and have some carrot cake. Right. <laughs> but in order to get to 100 and still be able to enjoy that, I've got to look after myself. So it's still about having fun. But to end the video, I, I realized that I must, when I originally did the original video, which is actually a, a YouTube video that I did five years ago, which is why I decided to do this TikTok one. Um, I, I don't know where I got the data from because smoking, I, I said in the TikTok video, you know, smoking, you know, if you stop, if excessive smoking only takes two years of your life, but it's actually more like 13. So <laughs> I really underplayed that. So, yeah, excessive smoking. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows it's terrible. And even light smoking will take years off your life. Yeah. And excessive alcohol, if you're going beyond the recommended units, that's pretty much excessive. It's going to damage your liver. And if your liver's not working, your brain's not going to work. Your organs aren't going to work. You're going to be inflamed. So some drinking, fine excessive of binge drinking or trying to have your weekly units just at the weekend that is also really bad thanks for listening to the mike smith show podcast can't wait for the latest episode to drop tune into the show live from nine to noon on 980 cknw want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment send me an email mike at cknw.com thanks again for listening <laughs>